Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Today on the podcast, Michael and Nate are once again talking about the things we do in church. Today we're talking about why we pray at the altars. What are these altars that sit at the front of the church and what is their significance in worship? We hope you'll sit right back and relax and enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey Michael, how's it going this week? It's going well, Nate. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. I'm almost on vacation. It's always better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is good. The uh, We actually went to Southern Nazarene University. You know this because we were there together. Uh, yeah. But uh, we went to Southern Nazarene University for their commencement uh, ceremonies. Uh, Tyler graduated from college with uh, his bachelor's. Yes. His bachelor's of science in ministry no that's not how that works um he had a he did have a he started uh, bio science chem. yeah yeah he started a biochem degree and ended up a uh, ministry major and he graduated and so uh, that was probably your news to tell more than mine but uh we were we were out of town this sunday and my team i just actually got off the phone earlier today with my associate pastor kind of debriefing how everything went and how the setup team went and uh, you know, cause whenever I leave town, I've got to delegate lots of things because we're still right. setting up and tearing down and, uh, and they, uh, and man, it, it just went off. I, I say it went off without a hitch. Uh, if there were any big hitches, they didn't tell me about them and it seemed to go well. So that's always a right. good thing. Going on vacation though, sometimes seems like you have to do twice as much work the week before just so you can be gone. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing this week. Tonight I have a board meeting and there's going to be a lot of delegating of things <laughs> in the next week. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it was fun to go to commencement. And then uh, before that, they had the uh, the theology and ministry department commissioning service. And that was powerful. Man. You know, the, that was both so... our kids got to be a part of that. Yeah, it was so powerful because Maggie's going to graduate in December. So um, that was, uh, probably the most powerful part of the weekend. Like, I don't want to yeah. diminish anything cause it was all really wonderful, but it was, uh, it was interesting to me to note. And I commented to Tyler, I said, how does something so humble, uh, have so much glory? Right. Like, why yeah. is, why is so much, why is it that I, I can, I'm able to, pick up on, understand, see, experience the glory in something more so when it's humble. Like what, what does humble and sacred have to do with, with yeah. experiencing the holiness of God? Like how does humility, I, I just, it's something very contradictory about that, right? Cause glory doesn't seem like a humble thing. It's a, it's a grandiose thing. It's a, it's a big thing. It's a, 
you know, celebration of the power of God or the, the oneness of God or the uh, complete otherness of God. Right. And so if right. something has, and, 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 you know, I remember a uh, short round from uh, Indiana Jones, they would say uh, fortune and glory. Like that's what Indiana Jones right. was seeking fortune and glory. And, and so when we celebrate the glory of God, uh, somehow it is better celebrated in humility. And I'm not sure well, yeah. how that works. Well, yeah, just the life of Jesus would, would say that um, coming as a baby to some peasants. Yeah. Choosing to be a servant, even death on a cross, as Philippians says, go and Yeah. So and that is how he was glorified through that death. But I also think that service was so powerful in my mind because of the relationships. So like, these are the professors they've been sitting in class with for four years. Absolutely. These are the ones they had the bulk of their classes with. These are the ones by the end of it, like Dr. Green prayed for Tyler. And, you know, since he was one of the few that was there when they started, he ended up teaching about eight classes for Tyler in the last two years. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. I think he actually said that. Right. So then when Dr. Green prayed over him, I thought, you know, that's super powerful. Yeah. Sure. Well, and then, yeah, I think as opposed to the big pomp and circumstance of the graduation where you go and shake, you know, the president's hand, who you may or may not have had a great relationship. Some people know the president more than others when they're in college. It's just how it is, you know. Um, but but it's just kind of a different setting. It was very intimate and very, very small and kind of out of the way, a yeah. side chapel, not oh, yeah. even on the campus. No, it was um, a small, very space. liturgical. Yeah, it so was very much not the modern worship scene. Yeah. Yeah, and I everything think, about it was beautiful. I think <laughs> the, the intimacy of it was was important, right? And, and when you're saying yeah. relationship, ultimately, the goal of relationship is intimacy, right? Like, right. And I think I think we've perverted that word intimacy uh so that we in our culture are all too often we're only able to think about intimacy in terms of uh sexual intimacy or some sort of uh i saw this interesting video of this little girl telling her mom no i want to marry daddy um and she was like but i married daddy (laughs) and the girl goes but i want to marry daddy and the mom's like well i know he's a great guy but i'm married to daddy and she's like but i want to marry daddy you know and uh the difficulty in 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 sort of our vernacular trying to help people, I mean, especially a small child, but people in general uh, understand what intimacy is and how intimacy is is a coveted thing, is a is a, a valuable thing, and it can be held. Uh, you know, our relationship has intimacies of its own, right? Uh, there are things right. that that we share with each other. Um, not to say that we keep secrets or anything, but when there are some things that I'm going to call you, uh, you're first on my list of people to call right. when something yeah. takes place. And there's an intimacy to that. And it's a valued thing. And so we saw that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and a matter of fact, even in that that chapel service uh, with our kids, there were some missing folks. Right. Some staff members, some faculty members who had been there through the years for us. Steve Green had, you know. <laughs> he had powered through and he'd been there the whole time. As a matter of fact, yeah. he came uh, the semester before I came to school at SNU. And so 
uh, I was, I, I got to, you know, sort of celebrate some things with him uh, about that first semester of teaching uh, doctrine of holiness. Uh, Cause I was in that first class and got to appreciate some of the nuances in the learning. And even the book that we used was a book entitled uh, holiness in Israel, but it was out of print. And so he had to, had to get permission to make Xerox copies of a, of a book that he wanted to use for the, uh, for the class that was no longer in print. And so my copy of that book is right here on my desk under my desk is, um, it's spiral bound Xerox copy that, <laughs> that we had to get oh, special wow. permission to make, uh, copies yeah. of. And so, uh, and that was just a fun little tidbits, but that relationship was so powerful, right? Like, uh, Fitzgerald, uh, Dr. Fitzgerald prayed over Maggie mm-hmm. and, and, uh, it was funny because when I'm walking out, uh, in like a group of the, uh, the ministry students, the seniors who were graduating, I'm walking out with them and I'm like, in your mind, do you have an imagination that says that they arm wrestled to see who got to pray for who? And they were, and the kids were like, yes, absolutely. I was wondering how did they figure who got to pray for who? And, and the person I was hoping would pray for me was the person who indeed did pray for me. Um, and the power of that, you know, just to be able to speak openly and be frank about, there are some people in my life in those special moments that I, there's a person that I want to pray over me in that there's a professor that I had a better connection with. And, and because that means that the prayer being prayed is more intimate. Like when, when Blair prayed for Jason, it was powerful right. because yeah. Jason's about to be his son-in-law and yeah. he, he got to pray for no holes in his waders because Jason's an yeah. outdoorsman and he lives to go fishing and they've gone fishing together. And, and so the prayers had layers, like the more intimate right. that we, the more intimacy we share with a person, the more layers there are to the things we say to each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was really powerful. I enjoyed that very much. I uh, That was one of my highlights of the weekend. And uh, yeah, when Dr. Green prayed, you know, he always prayed for the, if they had children and their children and their oh, children, no. I could only think of the blessing song. Of course he, yes. and their children and their blessing. children and your children. Yeah. Like, he ended every anyway. class with that blessing. So oh, I mean, okay. it, it was yeah. fitting, but yeah. the priestly yeah. blessing, but yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, when Maggie first started singing that, when we were worshiping outside during COVID, um, I am one rehearsal. I sang the words and your children for about two minutes straight. Like after we were done practicing, I, I, every word was and your children and your children. And I just kept going and I almost ruined the song for us, but we brought it back around. I, <laughs> I stopped doing it. I almost carried the joke too far. Like we talked about last time, but um, yeah. So it's funny. That's funny. Anyway, I, uh, I got a text from you this weekend while I was preaching because <laughs> you funny. were in church i wasn't and, i wasn't uh, preaching somebody else was preaching for me yeah so, and so you yeah. actually were able to just receive and you had said we need to talk about praying at the altar this week and so i i figured something in the service kind of spurred that on in you and we were talking about things we do in church this time around so what yeah. was spurring that on in you well we were actually at attendance at trinity uh church of nazarene in uh Oklahoma City, and uh, under the leadership of uh, Gabby Rodriguez, and she is she's quite phenomenal. She is a very talented leader, 
um, yeah, and, and an orator. She's a, she's a great communicator, and uh, she, I mean, she was just preaching the word. And at, at uh, and at some point, um, she invited people to come uh, to an to an altar of prayer, and to um, and and she had several different invitations. It wasn't just like a you know. Uh, an altar call where everyone came uh, to receive Christ as their savior. Cause they had had three right. bab- they had three baptisms in the service that morning, which was, That's I gotta awesome. say, I gotta say their children's pastor, Amber um, was just her delivery of uh, the, of the address that you make when you're about to baptize a young, uh, a young person, a child. Um, it's often cumbersome. It's awkward. It's hard, you know, cause it's filled with theological reasoning and whatnot and her ability to just communicate to the congregation and to the child at the same time with a subtlety, like instead of just hitting the nail on the head and making this long winded uh, proclamation of what baptism was. She just very narratively uh, tied it all together in this beautiful way. And, um, and I was just so impressed. But one thing she said was to the child, she looked at the, to one of the kids, actually to every kid she baptized. And she looked at them and said, I, uh, I'm not going to hold you under. Like when I, when I baptize you, when I put you under the water, I'm not going to hold you under, I'm going to raise you back up. And right. this is us talking about uh, how we are participating in the resurrection life of Jesus. And so you're not going to stay down. You're going to come back up just like Jesus rose from the dead. And it was just such a beautiful articulation of what's going on in that baptism ritual. And, um, and so I was just, the whole thing was really good. You know, it's very seldom that I get to just sit in a worship service. Yeah, it's a very different experience, isn't it? And so from the pew, when she, you know, having had this experience, having seen all these things going on, heard the sermon, um, and then saw the invitation it was wonderful because people went to the altar to pray. And then, and then you could see people, key people in their lives, relationships, again, people who would uh, have the right, have the authority, have the uh, permission to go and pray with them, to lay hands on them uh, and to encourage them while they were praying to maybe have a conversation with them at the altar. Um, It was such a, a wonderful thing to see, from that side of the uh, of the pulpit, right? Because usually I yeah. see that, but I see it from the pulpit. And right, but I didn't know those people, right? Like I didn't. None of those people were my responsibility. If maybe somebody on my pew had gotten up and gone down to pray, maybe I would have gone and prayed with them. Um, but I felt no no obligations, right? and no prompting. So I just got to be an observer of this thing. And I, and that's when I pulled out my phone, I texted you and I said, we need to talk about things that happen at church, uh, praying at the altar. Cause it's a, it's a peculiar thing. And yeah, especially if you imagine walking in and never having seen, never something seen that like before. This before. No. Yeah. What, what like, are they? What doing? is, yeah. Why, why are these wooden benches generally wooden? Like, why are they down front? What, what do they represent? What do they mean? And I was just thinking of all the different layers of altars, you know, um, in scripture, you, you know, the, 
kind of the earliest beginnings in Genesis. You see, when God does something, people start setting up stones. Yeah. To as to memorialize that God has worked there in that place. There's been a uh, an event, an occasion where they've experienced God in some way, and they don't want to forget it. So every time they walk by and they see this stone-like setup, there's an altar, and they remember, well, maybe this is Peniel, the face of God, the, <laughs> the place where I saw the face of God, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, so so it, I think that's the earliest origins that I see, and we still do that. I mean, I don't know your full story about an altar, but I remember very young age being going down to lots of altars. Um, oh, yeah. And I remember, especially when I was 14, one where I, I you know, kind of remember like making that kind of declaration that I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life and then being yeah. baptized. And yeah. So it was, a, it's a memorial place for me. Right. You know, right. Well, I, when I was nine years old, I, uh, in response to the sermon, I grabbed my mom's hand and said, I'm going to go to the altar. And she yeah. said, she said, why? And I said, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny how sometimes yeah. we can't articulate it. Uh-huh. And that's okay. Yeah. And we, but we because went down God to that knows. altar and I remember the spot. I know where it was. Like if you, if you took me to that sanctuary right now, I'll point to right where it was. I knew the pew, I can tell you the pew I was sitting in and the space at the altar where um, I said, Lord, I, I don't want this to just be, I don't want to just be here because my parents keep bringing me here. I want to, if I have a choice in this matter, I want it to, I want to do this. Right. If I, if I wasn't doing this, I'd still be doing this. Right. Yeah. Like that. There's a country song that says that. But. <laughs> I don't know much country, but I, <laughs> we were in Herrick auditorium for baccalaureate this, uh, this weekend and another altar that really stands out to me and actually probably changed my whole trajectory in life was um, when I was in college I went to college and I kind of just, I didn't go out and party. I didn't go out and get drunk or get high all the time. I didn't do a bunch of wild stuff. I just stopped doing anything that I was, you know, Christian. Like I, I still claimed that title, I think, but I, I didn't go to church. I didn't, you know, I didn't do any of the kind of normal rhythms of life that Christian people tend to do. I just kind of did what Nate wanted to do. And I've, kind of like a lot of kids just walked away from the church for a while. Um, if I got up every once in a while on Sunday, I might go to church, but not very often. And I was, you know, every chapel service at SNU, I sat in the very back of the mezzanine. I got on my, got out my papers and started doing my homework. You know, I wasn't really even engaged at all. And I remember there was a revival where I was sitting in that back of that mezzanine and I had to walk the long walk. Cause there's like a, if you've never been in there, there's a sec front section that's really big. And then there's a little break where everybody can file in and out of the auditorium. And then up above that is the mezzanine and mezzanine and the mezzanine rats. Oh no, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, there were definitely, there was jokes about the people in the mezzanine. There always were. Nobody wanted, they didn't want to be there. They were just there Uh by force. And so I walked that long aisle. Yeah. D Kelly was off to reference it. Yeah. yeah. D. Kelly would talk say, I'm talking to the mezzanine now or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I remember just um, 
there was a, a one of the revival weeks and I just, you know, I, I told the Lord I was sorry for kind of just doing my own thing. I remember right before that, there was a girl at college I was talking to, not like we weren't going to date or anything. We were just talking. And uh, the kids say talking to and they mean about to date. But oh, yeah. Uh, and she she looked at me and she said, you're a Christian. Huh. I would have never guessed that. Oh, <laughs> and Yikes. that was the beginning yeah. of that journey. I think down to the altar was a couple of weeks before when this girl had no inkling that I was a Christian by anything that I was doing with my life, which means you cannot, you know, hold another podcast. You can be doing a lot of things, none of them being bad, but you can still not be living for Christ, you know, right? So um, yeah. none of the, the like sins that we all name all the time are going out and doing crazy stuff. Yeah. It's um, a long way from God. God is real to Jesus is Lord. Yeah. There's, there's right. a, there's some mileage in there. Yeah. So anyway, that altar that we were, we were there again, I was on the left front side. Never forget it. That was another memorial for me um, that, that I was shaped while I was at Southern Nazarene and probably my life was not headed toward the pastoral ministry. I can promise you that if well, I didn't you, make that trip. Yeah. You were a chemistry major at the time. So yeah, certainly but even, not. even just maybe even living in the church and being faithful, right. um, it wasn't really heading that way either. So, so yeah, altars are, I, I think that first memorial thing, but then I also, you know, I think about the, the temple and, and things are placed on an altar and they're sacrificed and they're laid out. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said about that symbolism when we look at altars, Certainly. even in the church. So if we're not laying animals on the altar. Right. No, <laughs> no, no cats or any of that. Sort yeah. Of thing. Um, this do in remembrance of me is often printed on uh, the altar table. Like you have two altars and then between you is the altar table where the where the uh, the Eucharist is presented. Um, right. But uh, but there's something about that place, you know, in some places they they don't call them altars. They call them kneeling rails or kneeling benches. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, but altars are in a, a place to kneel, basically a place to kneel uh, in mm-hmm. the Church of the Nazarene. It tends to be a place not only to kneel, but to uh, we have this song that says, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? And yeah. uh, there's this, they tend to be a place where you cannot just, you don't just kneel at it, but you can drape your whole body over it if ne- if need be to right. just sort of, you know, put it all on the altar. Uh, my bro- my father-in-law, and I have his permission to share this, but my father-in-law said, uh, said he remembers when he was a kid that, uh, uh, or a teenager, that he was walking back to his seat after having prayed at an altar of prayer and, um, one, he heard two old ladies in the church saying that Wayne Gray, he's going to ride that altar all the way to heaven. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's funny. And he says in, in retrospect, I wasn't sure how to feel about, I wasn't sure how to feel about it at the time, but in retrospect, I, uh, if that's what it takes. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. That's, and that's what I'm going to do. People would lay animals. They would play lay grain Thanksgiving offering. So the idea of laying yourself, like I'm just offering all of myself, and then there's that whole, like you said, the kneeling. There's a physical posture where we say, you are God and I am not God. Yes. I will bow before you mm-hmm. and no one else, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so 
sometimes we have people in, in churches who can't kneel. And so we'll use the front row seats maybe as a place to, yeah. to sit if you can sit uh, there instead of kneeling. But, but the whole idea of kneeling um, was simply the idea that you are bowing yourself low before this God. You're offering your whole self on the altar, as you say, uh, that you're giving God everything you have, everything you are. Um, and, and, and there's that whole memorial aspect. There's that whole offering aspect. And there's a whole posture of humility. Because sometimes it helps us when we actually take physical postures. Sure, sure. And it, and it becomes this place, that long walk you were talking about. Like you were going down there to meet God. Like that's right. That was yeah. your purpose. And there was some it, it, like fasting, right? Like the whole point of fasting is doing without in order to hear from God, in order to not be distracted by these things. I'm going to give myself over to this. And there's this, there, there's also an aspect of confession. Like I know we've talked about before how the, the Protestant church tends to lack a, uh, uh, a liturgy of confession. Um, and so but the altar oftentimes is this place of confession. It's this, uh, you remember that Sanctus Real song that said, I'm not all right. I'm broken inside. Um, the, uh, it's that confession, you know, I'm not all right. Uh, I remember in, in, when I was youth pastor in orange, every, every Sunday, I mean, every Sunday, there were boys from this boys home that we ministered to. They were orphans. And they would come to the altar and every Sunday without fail, what are you praying about this Sunday? I'm praying for a family. I'm praying yeah. for a mom and a dad. I'm praying that somebody will adopt me, right? <laughs> that they're teenage boys whose hope of adoption was almost nil, right? Because people don't adopt teenage boys. It just doesn't happen. And, uh, but right. they, w- they went and they found hope and they prayed that prayer every Sunday. The cry of their heart born, you know, they just would bear it to God and say, Lord, you know, I, I need a family that I, there was something powerful about that. And watching that, that church that didn't know those boys go from a place of, huh, I wonder what they're praying about. Uh, and, you know, and we all have these things in our head where we think, oh, if I go down there, they're going to think I'm a horrible sinner and that I'm praying about some sin or whatever. And, uh, but those boys were praying for a family and, and it didn't take long before those boys were not just praying for a family. They were praying about other things, but the congregation went from just watching them pray to following them to a, to a a place of prayer, praying with them. And it, and it, you know, as the years went through, went by, some of those people who were following them to the altar became surrogate families to those, to those boys as they aged out of the system. Now, when they, when they don't have a family to spend the holidays with, they still spend the holidays with those people. Like, yeah. And that's an aspect of, go ahead. No, that is that that's the point. I mean, that's that intimacy that happens when we pray for one another, right? It, it turns into relationship. It moves us from, seeing people as two-dimensional to seeing people as three-dimensional, right? Like to seeing them yeah. as in all their dimensions, not just three-dimensional, but even beyond that uh, to see, to see more of a human being. To, that's what intimacy is. And prayer is such a powerful tool to help us get to that place. And the altar is oftentimes the context for that experience. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I was going to say when I interrupted you there. That's um, okay. I, I think um, one aspect that I, I don't probably haven't talked a lot about in altars is that the altars are a big part of discipleship, and at least in the history of the church, you know. Yes, they are. Uh, there's a lot of conversations that go on down there. There are a lot of like that community support. Uh, because what is discipleship other than you know being on the way together? I mean, we're yeah, we're not we're all following. None of us are the leader, so we're all following Jesus together. But those who have been walking this way for a while, coming around people who are you know maybe just entering into uh, following Jesus for the first time, even around an altar, and, and so maybe just helping along the way to say, hey, this is you know encouraging, supporting, praying. Um, helping with language and things that people may not quite understand. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen um, in those kind of communal aspects and finding that love and that support and uh, the encouragement that we're supposed to be, you know, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. So those, those aspects of discipleship can often happen around an altar. Absolutely. Recently I uh, was at district assembly on South Texas district and, um, you know, the, the district superintendent gave his report and it was, it was actually, I mean, his report is always a sermon. Um, and, uh, right. and which is fine by me. Uh, I actually much prefer a sermon to a report. The to a bunch uh, of numbers. Yeah. That's, please don't tell me numbers. I don't, I don't care. Um, tell me, tell me the transformational experience of it. That's what I want to hear about. And so he always right. does, and he did a great job and delivered this message. And he was talking about joy. And the shortage of joy, right? Like how we feel like right. we've had a shortage of joy in the past couple of years or how we've, our, our joy has been lost or stolen or uh, seriously impeded by, you know, a pandemic and the state of affairs in, uh, you know, whatever. And, and talking about how clergy were suffering that. And, uh, and, you know, I was really feeling that. I was like, yeah, I, you know, I, I remember a day when people, I think people felt like I was a joy filled person. And, and lately uh, I've been feeling like uh, I'm a complaint filled person. And so now don't get me wrong. I've always been good at complaint, but, (laughs) um, but I've also, there was a time when I was better at celebration um, than I have been lately. And so I was just feeling the weight of it. Well, there's a, there's a man on our district, a pastor who is particularly resilient, right? Um, and I, I have this, this plaque in my living room that says, uh, um, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. And I, and I feel like that describes him. And so uh, his name is Matt Rice, and he's the pastor of San Antonio First Church. I'll just go ahead and call him out. And, uh, and so in my head while he's talking about joy, I just thinking, you know, I feel like I've lost some, my joy. Um, I feel like I, I have a hard time accessing it now and I, I need, I want to get that back. And so I was responding to the word of God, to the message. And they have at living word church in the Nazarene in Houston, Texas, they have altars all across the front. And I, uh, I just made my way down to an altar, but I didn't go straight to the altar to pray about this, I went and got Matt and I just said, I'm going to need your help. And he didn't hesitate. 
and he just came and he just, you know, I, I made the walk by myself, but uh, I didn't do the praying by myself. And while he was praying for me, I felt the, the number of people increase, right? I felt other hands and some hands came and they prayed for a short time and they left and I felt their hand on my back or on my head or whatever. And then, and they left, but some stayed. And when I stood up, there were some who were waiting to hug me, right? There were some right. waiting to say, uh, I know the nature of what you're praying here. And I know that this prayer, we're not going to pray this away, right? Like it's not just mm -hmm. going to, this isn't like a pill you take and magically, whoop, it's all done, right? Uh, this is an ongoing walk and an ongoing journey. And so when someone's standing there after you've prayed those prayers to hug your neck and say, I'm here to continue this journey with you. That's right. a, that's, I mean, that's what the altar is. The altar is this place of confession where we find the help uh, in God and in God's people to walk this journey together. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the most powerful prayers that have ever been prayed over me actually were from students in my youth ministry, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you're the one who's, oh, yeah. who's supposed to be the leader, if you yeah. will. And, and in those vulnerable moments uh, where they realize that you're a human being who has emotions and wears out and gets frustrated and gets loses joy, you know, like the, when kids pray for you, it means it always meant so much to me because like kids generally, if, if you've ever been a youth pastor, you know, asking someone to pray at dinner is like asking for crickets to chirp, you know, like oh. everybody immediately yeah. is like, not me. Not me. I'm um, not doing that. Yeah. And then uh, when you have a couple of kids lead out and then others begin to follow uh, and pray for you, man, I, those have been some of the most powerful prayers uh, ever prayed over me. Uh, because it, you knew it came from a place of the journey together, the intimacy we're talking about, and that we were going to keep walking together. So there's always, you know, if you're if you have a pastor, even if you're not a youth uh, teenager, a youth, <laughs> a youth, um, even if you're not a teenager, man, I, I would guarantee you, your pastor covets your prayers. Like when my people Absolutely. pray for me, it means so much. I, I went to visit Miss Curley. This week, Curly is almost 93. She's the matriarch of my church. She is uh, recently just been told she's going to be on dialysis for the rest of her life. Her motto is, I won't complain. And I start praying for her <laughs> as I'm leaving. And uh, she begins to pray for me. Yeah. And every yeah. time, you know, it gets me because here's a lady who's going through a lot right now, you know. And she's just praying for her pastor. Um, and I know she does even when we're not together. And so, man, I would encourage you, if you go to church and you have a pastor or pastors that pray for them and let you let them know that you're praying for them, because it means it means a whole lot. Yeah. It's that intimacy, that relationship. Yeah. Uh, that brings the, the power that I mean, obviously, God is the ultimate power in prayer, but but there's, there's powerful um, connection when we sure. know the people we're praying for. There's a certain level of trust that take that, that you engage in 
And that's not easy. That's yeah. not always easy. That's a certain level of, of trust that you engage. I, we used to well, do even this. admitting that you didn't feel joy. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. a trust in that, right? Yeah. That people well, are going to be like, yeah. well, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yes. And I've never had that experience when I've admitted something. No. Like I've people talk about how bad church people are, but you know, I've seen people admit some pretty horrific things in oh, church. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never seen anybody go, well, no. that's it for you. No. You're gone. Yeah. We're going to vote you off the island. Uh-huh. I'm sure what there's... happens is they yeah. gather around and pray. They do. They do. I... What were you saying? I'm sure there's one. No, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that there's some hypocrisy that goes on. But generally speaking, I don't see much of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, and I'm sure there's some churches that aren't real gracious. I'm just saying in my experience. Personally, in my, yeah. Personally, I've, you know, I, I saw I've seen people confess. I mean, terrible things, terrible things. Right. Into a yeah. microphone at church. And, and some of those things maybe don't need to be confessed out loud to everyone. Right? Just just to spoil. I mean, yeah, no, I've seen but I, even yeah. if they are. Whether they are or aren't. Yeah. No, I've seen some that needed to be confessed and I've seen some that probably should have been confessed in in, more privately in a more private setting. Um, But regardless of what the confession was, uh, the the response of the congregations that I've been a part of has been gracious, has been has been forgiveness or at least to say, whoa, that's heavy. Uh, I'm going to need some time, but I don't hate you. Right. Like, right. Uh, and yeah. I've seen, yeah. I've seen that, you know, seen that all play out. Uh, and, you know, I can't, I can't say with a hundred percent that, that, that all of those, all of those uh, relationships were, were salvaged or whatever, but I guarantee that when we keep it to ourselves and we slowly self-destruct inwardly uh, that, that, that is no life to live. That's no life yeah. to live and to, and to rob someone of the opportunity to offer forgiveness and participate in the redemptive acts of God um, is, is certainly not uh, a, a Christian life, right? The Christian life says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to address these things. I'm going to give others the opportunity to address these things and to walk with me to, to pretend that everything's okay when it's not is uh, you know, is, is n- no way to live. That's just not, that's not the invitation that Christ offers us. Christ offers yeah, us an it, invitation to say that I'm broken and I need help. And, and it will wear you out. Yeah. It will wear you out. I remember when we were first, and I may have told this story before, Nate, please stop me if I have. But uh, I remember when we were first planting um, here in San Marcos that uh, I was feeling pretty worn out. And uh, I remember that uh, the Lord gave me a vision of turning our couch into a, an altar and kneeling and, and inviting my family to pray for me. And, uh, and I was reluctant to do so because, you know, I'm supposed to be the, the strong one or whatever. And I, I'm supposed to have it all together. I mean, I, after all, I did move us here for this purpose. Surely I know what I'm doing. Right. You know? Um, yeah. And, uh, and I remember I was like, Lord, I can't do that. Like I may be fragile, but if I break, they're going to, it's going to unnerve them. I can't do that, which is a very arrogant position to take, but that's kind of where I was feeling. I was like, I can't do that. That's, that's too much vulnerability to ask my teenage sons to pray for me. 
um, and barely teenagers at that, you know, um, and, uh, and I remember I went to my, my co-working group that day and I had to, I like, we're having lunch together and we're just shooting the bull. And I said, Hey, I got something that I need. I need y'all's help with. Um, I have this vision that I think has come from the Holy spirit to kneel and let my family pray over me. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm not keen on it and I need to practice. <laughs> right. So, so somehow I, I was asking, you know, people that I was not terribly intimate with, uh, to right. do more than I was going to ask my my the intimacy of my family you know and so i'm asking for practice and i didn't want to ask for that practice either but it's like the holy spirit was on me all day for that the whole time we're there it's all i could think about and so i i said so i knew that god wanted to do something in that quote unquote practice uh session and so i knelt and and they prayed for me and i had to stand up in the praying while they're praying and say no this isn't this isn't what i need uh, you're all standing far away from me. I'm going to kneel. I'm going to get right here in the crook of the couch and I'm going to kneel and I need somebody to lay hands on me and pray for me. And they did, you know, they weren't all, right. they weren't, they weren't ministry people. They were like, I was, the, yeah. I was a pastor in a co-working space and one of them was a barista and two of them were consultants. And another one was a, a, a church planter. And so like the church planter got it, but everybody else was like, I'm not sure what we're doing here. And, uh, and I, so I had to show them. And so I grabbed this kid who's a barista and I said, I need you to put your hands on me while I'm, while I kneel and pray. Um, and I need you to pray for me. I'm, I can't do the praying. I need you to do the praying. And so they prayed. And after I was done, this kid, this barista is just in tears. I mean, he's just like shattered. And I, I, I just said, are you, you okay? And, and I just hugged him and I started praying for him. And, um, and he just said, yeah, i just always wished that my dad would do that. <laughs> oh, wow. Which was just <laughs> like, that was the, was the encouragement him saying that it, the whole thing had to go through just so he could say that. So I could go, okay. So kids want their dads. They want their parents to ask for prayer, to, to right. give them, to trust them enough that they would let them pray for them. And so I came home and we were coming home from supper that night and we'd eaten out with some folks and we're walking in. I said, all right, family meeting. And they're like, my kids are like, Oh, family meeting. We hate family meetings. Every time we have a family meeting, you tell us we're moving, you know, (laughs) whatever. And so I said, I I just had this vision from the Lord and I, and I practiced it earlier today because I I was reluctant, but um, I need you to pray for me because this is really difficult. This isn't like having a staff position at a, at a church. This is something different and I don't really know how to do it. And I need you to, and I'm not sure I'm doing it right. And I don't know if it's going to go anywhere and uh, I need you to pray for me. And I knelt down there in the crook of the couch, right? Where I, in my vision, I saw it happening. And, um, and my kids like Judah prayed this very sweet prayer uh, that, you know, a, a child would pray for his father and he was the youngest at the time. I think he might've only been 11 or 12 and uh, he prayed, he just prayed the sweet prayer and Maggie uh, just 
prayed this just glorious prayer of hope and vision for the church. And then Jonah, I can see that. Yeah. And yeah, she's, she is a seven after all. Um, right. And then uh, Jonah, who most people probably think he's not paying attention most of the time, prayed my heart. Like he, yeah. I, don't, I don't know where he found the words, but he knew somehow this kid who didn't seem to be paying attention most of the time knew exactly how I was feeling and knew exactly what to pray. And just, I mean, overwhelm me. And, uh, and then before, before bedtime, all three of my kids that night had come to me and said something to the effect of, I'm glad we're here. Yeah, Maggie. That's Maggie, awesome. Yeah. Maggie actually said, you know, dad, sometimes I get complacent or I, I long for complacency. I think back to how easy it was in orange and then, and I, and I wish for that. And then I feel bad and I get mad at myself for wishing for complacency for apathy, for, you know, just that it would be easy because this is an adventure that the Lord has given us and I want to be here, you know? And so yeah, turned out that <laughs> the yield of all of that was more than I could have hoped for. And it was certainly the encouragement that I needed to get over the hump. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah people praying for us, um, is, is such a powerful thing. And, um, I think that's a great story to maybe, maybe wrap up with. I, <laughs> I don't know. I think, sorry, I talked a lot this, this episode. <laughs> oh, you're good. Um, I think, you know, I would just encourage people when they go to church, you see those altars, like you said, sometimes we have avoided them at all costs because, it was like a scarlet letter, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. If you went down there, oh, something wrong with them. Oh, must be getting saved again. But if we come into the idea with, well, there's something wrong with all of us. And the grace of God is the only thing that will solve those. I mean, that will work and transform those things. Probably yeah. a better way to say that. Um, then we all, maybe we need to ride that altar all the way to heaven, yeah, right? Like, I mean, strap some, you know. strap some rockets on it. Yeah. The, it, yeah. If, you know, I hope we come to church uh, because there are altars. Yeah. Like, I, I hope yeah. that's the reason we come to a place where we can give a sacrifice of praise. You remember that old song? We yeah. bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Of the, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, uh, you know, sometimes we, it's an act of gratitude to go to that altar and say, Lord. Yeah. I ask you for this and you, you came through in just magnificent ways, right? Like we do battle with the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so many times that's the, the altar is where we bring our testimony. And that, or at least that's what we're supposed to we're supposed to bring our testimony to the altar and lay it out there and say, I'm going to get, I'm going to put this out there uh, for whoever needs it. Right. And, and yeah. honor the Lord with this. So, yeah, I, I hope we come to church because there's an altar. As a matter of fact, I had to build some altars for Wayfinders because we didn't have any for the longest time. And it just yeah. didn't feel right. So right. I had to make these altars that we could fold up, right? Because they have to be yeah. put away and brought back out. And so I had to make some that would fold up. And uh, and just the process of that was a powerful process for me. So the altar is a powerful place. 
One of my favorite altar stories is a camp we worked at together where we had these kids in a hot summer afternoon go down to the riverbed, oh, pick gosh. up some rocks. <laughs> yeah. Pick up some rocks. And uh, we didn't tell them what they were doing. So, of course, nope. the, the big football players have got the biggest rock possible. Oh, gosh. And yes. we walked those kids forever with those rocks. Up a hill. And then, yeah, yeah up, up a, a hill, hill, down a across, hill, around through across the river. sand, across a river. I mean, like, over the river and through the woods. Through the woods, <laughs> over a little <laughs> rickety old bridge. Oh, yeah, we did. And then we had them pile those rocks right when you would drive down into the camp because it came off a hill first thing you see is this big mound of just stones the idea was these kids had laid all that down and it was it was an idea of, of creating a monument of what god had done in their life that week at camp and uh there was there were kind of multiple things there like laying their burdens down but mm -hmm. there was also the idea of like the Israelites after they crossed into the promised land, like creating this stone statue so that when you see it, when your kids say, what do these stones mean? You'll tell them how the Lord God brought you into the promised land. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I, that was one of my favorite altar stories. We created an altar. Unfortunately, they probably got rid of it, but I would have loved it if it would have stood for time and it, memoriam. It's uh, it's, surrounding the base of a, a tree down there now. okay awesome um, yeah and terry yeah. porter terry porter is in he's the camp director down there and uh, you know that next week in one of those van loads of kids who came that next week and asked the question what's that what are those stones was what do was these Mag stones mean yeah that was maggie pig like she came That's awesome. yeah she's now maggie cook but she was maggie pig at the yeah. time and she she came and she said daddy what are those stones and of course i had been a part of that so I had to answer through tears, but <laughs> right. But yeah. it was it was a beautiful moment. So well, yeah. So next time you're in church and you see those altars down there, there's a lot going on. There's a place for you to bring those sacrifices. It's a place to humble yourself, a place to meet with God and to be a community as you pray yeah. together. There's so much going on. There's a lot of memory in those stones yeah. in those altars. All right. Well, I think we got a good one today. So yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. Love you, man. And I'm Love going on vacation. So it may be a little bit, but we'll get back together. All righty. When I get back from the boat. Okay. Well, you know, I, we, I probably have enough stories for another and another entire episode of why the altar is so important, but <laughs> we'll probably move on to other things that we do at church. Right. Uh, and well, we could we do, do either one. We could do part two, the sequel. <laughs> Although right. they're usually not as good as the original. No, they tend not to be. But All right. Take care. Yeah, take care of yourself. Love you, man. I love you, too. See you. All right. Bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.